Praise the Lord. Amen. Be seated. Well, I'm glad you're here today. More than I can tell you. I have something that I want to send right straight to you, right directly to you, to every person here this morning. I know that sometimes you feel like you hear the same thing preached over and over and over. I know that because sometimes I feel like I preach the same thing over and over and over. And the reason we feel that way is because it's so difficult to get anybody to do what you're telling them God's Word says to do. <laughs> you know, I heard a story a long time ago about a young pastor who went and took a church. And the first Sunday he preached a great sermon. People were just blessed and moved by it. And the next Sunday he came back and preached the same sermon. It was so good, the third Sunday he came back and preached it again. And the fourth Sunday, everybody said, well, it'll probably be different today. But it wasn't. He preached the same thing again. And finally, the board or the deacons or whoever they were got together and came to him and said, Pastor, we're a little bit concerned. When are you going to start preaching something different? He said, well... I'm going to preach something different as soon as you start doing what I preached the first time. So, I sometimes wonder if people, I don't know what I'm doing here. Maybe I'm doing something wrong here on this microphone. I'm going to adjust it, turn it a little bit if that helps. We're going to get us a little uh, something to cover this thing here. Stop that. I think it's just in the way I talked. Okay, so, so I, yeah, sometimes I, I feel like you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying the same thing, but, but I also know that there are a lot of things that need to be said it again and again because I, I don't see a lot of people seeming to grasp it. You know, I'll just give you one example. I talk about God giving us an assignment. I believe that there's a place that God puts us. You're not just here to sit in church, sing the songs, say amen and hallelujah. Well, we'll wait and come back the next time. And do it. God has an assignment for you in His kingdom. But I find a lot of people, as I have talked about that, don't, don't quite grasp that. It seems like that just doesn't matter. I'm not saying that everybody is supposed to have some great, mighty, headline-making job or responsibility. Just saying that we need to hear the voice of the Lord and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's true in selecting a church. I don't believe that you're here by accident. And I don't think it's just up to you to decide whether you're going to come and be here or stay or leave or go or whatever. I don't think that's up to you. It's up to your will. But if you want to be in the will of God, you need to be where God has assigned you to be. I'm not saying you should never change churches. Some folks, well, I won't say that. Back up, Pastor. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say you should never change churches. A lot of you have been to other churches and God led you here. I know God leads you to other places. But I also know that God doesn't lead you somewhere because it's closer to where you live. And God doesn't lead you somewhere because you think that you like the way the people dress there. 
better than the way they dressed in the other church that you were in. Well, whatever reason you might come up with, one of my children has decided that they really like it over here, in the, and it doesn't matter what church. It doesn't matter. A lot of people don't think there's any difference in going to the Mormon church or going to the Seventh-day Adventist and going to the First Assembly of God. And it doesn't matter. If you think it doesn't matter, you're just about as ignorant as anybody I know. More than most, even. But I sat at the table with somebody the other day and said, well, we visit around. We're, we're, we're Christians, you know, we really love God. We're going to come visit your church sometime. But, you know, we visit the different churches. I got the, I've had two people tell me this almost identical same thing in the last four to six weeks. Well, we're just visiting here. Now, you know, we really like it over at the Mormon church down here because they do some really good things. And we like the, we like the people there, so we've been going there some. But we've also been going over here to the United Church. United by that, I mean the, uh, not the United, but the, uh, plus that church is not a church. Uh, <laughs> anyway, 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 I want to back up. There's a lot of churches that have United in them, and that's not what I, there's one certain one I just can't say right now. But, but, but this person is telling me, we, we visit all these places. And I'm thinking, how in the world can you be a Christian who knows God, has any identification with the Holy Spirit, and run around to all these places, especially those that are actually contrary to the Word of God and believe things that are untenable in the faith of God. All right, now that's just the second part of my sermon preached first with no extra charge. That's got nothing to do with what I'm planning to preach about today. But the seniors left me with a, a couple of extra minutes, and I thought this just might be a good time to tell you those things. Are you glad I told you? Well, you don't act much like it, but I told you anyway. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Now, some time ago I began thinking about the day of Pentecost and the 50 days of Pentecost. I really decided that I wanted to preach three different messages today, next Sunday, and then Pentecost Sunday. And I've announced this. You've seen the announcement on it. My message today is directions to the upper room. Next Sunday, Lord willing, I'll preach on dwelling in the upper room. And then on Pentecost Sunday, I will preach a message that I've called departing from the upper room. And I hope that all of this, I hope you'll hear all of it, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you in a, in a very strong, powerful, spiritual way. You know, we don't have to have a lot of things happening, a lot of a lot of things stirred up, and God, it, it, we can just be moving along what seemed like an ordinary, normal service, wishing it to get better and wishing it were different. And all of a sudden, because God is ready to move and we're ready to receive it, the Holy Spirit just comes in, and we see a mighty flash and flood of the Spirit and the power of God. And that's what we should be expecting at any time, that God do something specific and powerful and direct, personal in our lives to receive from God. Folks, this isn't just a church service because it's Sunday morning. This is a time to encounter God. This is the time to hear from the Spirit of God in your life. This is the time for you to step out and step up and believe God with the faith that he's put in your heart, 
to do what you need done in your life to bring you to the greatest level of victory that you have ever been in all of your Christian experience. Some of you join in me. You've walked with the Lord a long time. But you've never been totally satisfied at what God is doing. Because there isn't any place to get to that total satisfaction. Once you get to the very depth of the Lord, the more you get there in that closeness with God, the more He calls upon you to draw closer and closer still. In all of my experience, I've never had a time that I said, Oh, wow. This Wednesday... I realize, I realize I finally got close to God as I'm ever going to be. And I thank you for it, Lord. Let me just hold my ground and stay here and not go back. I've never come to that place, not any one day of my life. Every day of my life, if there is a pull from God on me, and there usually is, God is pulling me closer to Him. Make this change. Do this differently. Change this way of your planning. Change this thought process that you have. This is something that you need to do in order to draw closer to me. And somehow God has never run out of those things to challenge me with. I try to do it, but sometimes it's difficult. And I say this because I want you to identify with trying to draw closer to God. We all want to do that. And there is a way, there is a path, there is a direction. And one of those things, and the greatest thing that we can do at all times and all ways to draw nearer to Him is to obey God in whatever He speaks to us to do. And sometimes God will say something to you, and you will think, my, why would God care if I do that? It isn't important, perhaps, whether that you're doing this one thing or particular or not. Maybe that doesn't really matter. But what matters is when God puts it in your heart and speaks to you about it, for whatever reason he may have, if it's just to challenge your obedience, you need to do what God's Spirit is speaking to you to do. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what I'm talking about better than some others of you do. Because you're struggling with trying to decide, am I going to do what I really believe God's leading me to do? It doesn't have to be some wild unusual, earth-shaking event. It can just be something as, as, it can be something as simple as, what? Stop watching that TV show. Taking your time and putting things in your mind that you don't need there. The Spirit of God starts telling you something like that. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't, that's not doing any harm. I can, I can live with that, sure. But can you live as close to God as He wants you to be with that? The question is, are you willing to make the sacrifice, pay the price for whatever it is that you need to do to draw closer to God? I, I, and, and that's a simple thing. I'm talking about a simple thing. It could be that you need to stop some relationship that you're in. What I'm doing talking about this is not one single thing I plan to preach on yet. Just, I haven't got there yet to one single thing I plan to preach on. So there must be something in what <laughs> It could be something just as, as simple as stopping some relationship. You know, I, I had somebody say to me not long ago, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. 
I really believe God is leading me to come to church more. I, I, I acted then about like I am right now. I kind of closed my lips up to keep from jumping all out. I really believe God's leading me to come to church. And I said, well, I have no doubt that he is. I, I, I don't doubt that whatsoever. If you're here once in a while, I have no doubt God's talking to you about coming and being in church more. I have no doubt at all. In fact, you don't even need to come and discuss it with me and ask me if I think it's God's will. I'll tell you now in advance before you ever ask the question. Of course it is. Of course it is. This is God's chosen body. God, not just us. I'm talking about the church itself. Is God's chosen way of reaching this world. Of bringing a testimony to this world. And the way of enriching your life. I know there are times that some of us can't be here. There's times that I can't be here. That's not the point. The point is not be here when you can be. And if God's speaking to you about it, you think maybe it's God speaking to you about it, I want to, I'm going to help you this morning. If you think God's dealing with you about that, and you know somebody else that, that thinks God's dealing with you about that, I want to help you as much as I can this morning. And so I'm going to help you right now get the answer to God's will on that. Is, is God speaking to you about that? Yes, He is. I have no doubt that He is. And if you don't do that, you will miss the choice that God has made for you to better yourself, to lift yourself, to raise you up in the Spirit of God. You need to hear that and do it. And, it's not, and, and there are many other things. I just chose that as an example because that's what came into my head. I said, you know, I'm talking out of unpreparation this morning. I've got a great, great message for you that's on my notes over there. I probably ought to get started on that. Don't get worried. I'm not going to hold you way, way long and make you responsible this time I'm using now. But, but I, 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 rarely, I rarely find myself, what people would say, off on a tangent. I don't think that's what this is. I really believe I'm being led by the Spirit of God. But, but I rarely find myself going in this direction. I'm pretty much what I've got prepared. I believe God's already spoken to me about it. That's where I go, and that's what I stay with. So... If I've touched on your sweet little personal discouraging feelings and I've spoken right directly to you today and you think that somebody talked to me about what you said and I'm just talking about it because somebody said that that's what you said, wrap it up, folks. I had not heard anything about you. don't care about hearing anything about it. I've heard it all my life. Then how do I have to hear it again? I did hear it just the other day. I also heard somebody sitting down talking with me, personally talking to me about, well, we go to church, but we visit. I told you a while ago, we visit all these different places, visit all around these different places. And that's why people don't get anywhere with God. Because the Lord said when he was naming the children of Abraham, Reuben, unstable as water, you will never prevail. Instability in our faith and in our commitment and in our obedience most of all, will keep us from gaining the fullness of the blessings of God, will hold us back from the fullness of His anointing, will hold us back from the fullness of His victory, will hold us back from the fullness 
that he wants to give to us in our lives to achieve the spiritual level that he wants us to rise to in his name. So, so let me talk to you about the directions to the upper room. I didn't forget this. Consider that I'm coming up here now and just getting started. Here it is. How many of you have it today? Lift it up. The word, the sword. All right. More and more and more. More and more and more. We're getting them and bringing them. We want to read it. We want to believe it. It's also the, the visible expression of a testimony that we appreciate having with the Lord. So I want you to turn with me in your Bible this morning, if you care to read with me, to Luke chapter 22. I'm starting this morning at verse 7. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it, speaking of himself and all the rest of the disciples. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Jesus said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished. Prepare it there. Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit will anoint the words that your servant speaks this morning. And may they burn in the hearts of all the hearers as though they were a coal from the fire of your very altar by your throne. I know, Lord, that you spoke of these words to me this week. They didn't come from the Internet. They didn't come some, from somebody else's book. They didn't come from hearing somebody else preach this. They came directly from your Holy Spirit to my heart. And I've put them together to share with your people this morning, and I pray that they will be the blessing that you planned and intended for them to be, that our hearts will be led into that relationship with you that's closer than we've ever experienced before, that we'll grow deeper and deeper with you and closer and closer to you, Lord God, in your holy name, in your holy name. I pray that you'll speak through your obedient servant, through your trustworthy child, through your anointed messenger, to bring this word today for the glory of your name. Amen. And amen. There are two significant times that the upper room is mentioned in the scriptures. The upper room was the place of the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper. And then, second, the upper room was the place where the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. But today, when I talk about the upper room, I'm talking about more of a spiritual experience than I am of a location. Because the disciples certainly had a great, a mighty, a powerful spiritual experience with the Lord. 
at that time that they spent in the upper room surrounding that last Passover and the first Lord's Supper. I'll share more about that with you in the course of this message. But it's a spiritual experience when we refer to the upper room. It was a physical location for them. They went to a literal place and went to a literal room on the upper level. It was a large room, and it was already furnished, and it was prepared as though the owner knew that the master was going to call on him for this occasion, and he had it ready. But that's what God does. When he's going to lead us into a great, deep spiritual experience, he has things prepared for us as we walk with him and he draws us into that relationship that is closer with him. He has those things prepared and ready for us to receive, just as this room was already prepared for the disciples to go there. And Jesus knew exactly where it was, knew exactly how to tell Peter and John to go and find it. They obeyed him, and they found the upper room and went and told the rest of them, and they came there to observe the Passover. The Passover was a very sacred thing to them. It was a celebration of the Lord delivering the children of Israel from Egypt with the final plague when the firstborn of the families in Egypt who did not have the blood on the doorpost and the lintel over the door. And the firstborn in those households without the blood was slain. And, and the rest of them who put the blood there because of the shed blood of a lamb and put the blood over the door were spared. And just as the Lord said, when, he, when the death angel sees the blood, he will pass over. And the Bible says Christ, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. So it's, it's, it, it's, it's a, it was a spiritual time for them, this Passover. But it was also the time of the last Passover. The disciples never again, according to the thing I can find in the Scripture, never again celebrated the Passover. Because when Jesus died on the cross... That lamb that was slain every year, the abundance of lambs, the multiplied thousands of lambs that were slain every year to celebrate the Passover, not one of them ever needed to be slain again. Because once Jesus died on the cross as our Passover lamb, that blood, that eternal blood, that finally efficacious blood for all for salvation, not repeated but once for all, caused us not to ever have to celebrate anything of the Old Testament again, but live in the victory of Christ and the revelation of a new covenant, a new message, a new testament. And that's what the disciples began to discover. I don't know that they fully understood it in that upper room, but they came to understand it as time went on in their following the Lord. So the, so the upper room is more than just a location. It's a spiritual experience. And I want you to see it that way as I develop this thought with you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says this, If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit with personal integrity, godly character, and moral courage, our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. Without reading in the Amplified Version, the, 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 ver, the word of that verse, Galatians 5, 25, is this, If we live by the Spirit, we should also walk by the Spirit. So if that Spirit of resurrection that brought Jesus from the dead, that came into us and brought us from the death of sins into the life of Christ Jesus is in us, we're living by the Spirit and we ought also to walk by the Spirit, that is to daily live out our experience by our application, by our dedication, by our surrender to God, by our character, by everything that expresses that Christ is living in our lives. And, 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 and as we do that, 
show the, show the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives by the development of our character and by showing Him forth in the way that we live. We testify that we are participants in that revelation that Jesus gave His disciples in those last days and in the revelation of the cross and the revelation of the tomb emptied at the resurrection when Jesus came forth from the dead. All of that is a part of our testimony as we walk it out day by day, the Holy Spirit in our lives making it possible for us to live in that, in, in that order. That's what the upper room is all about, that the Holy Spirit coming into our lives gives us the ability, the strength and the ability, yes, the supernatural ability to walk in the power of God and develop ourselves in the likeness of Christ so we become more and more like Him as we walk more and more with Him. So if we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we have to also walk by the Holy Spirit and let the testimony of our lives prove it. We can't, we can't show it just by what we say. We have to show it we, by what we do. We can certainly deny it and make it known that we don't have it by what we say. But by what we do, we proclaim what the power of Christ has performed in our lives. So now these disciples were told how to find the upper room. They were told to go and walk behind the man who had a jar of water on his, on his shoulder. I've always wanted to have an experience kind of like this. You know, the, the Lord told me to go see somebody who's got red hair and, a, and, and wearing a blue shirt and, and to follow him down the way, and he's going to lead me to where uh, there's a big check there. <laughs> or just some, <laughs> maybe not that, but, but some just really some outstanding thing he takes me and leads me into, and I say, oh, Here's a deed to the property that somebody left here, paid for, signed it, and left it and gave it to us. So all we have to do is live in it, and somebody's already paid for it. And I'm, I just dwell on things like that, wanting God to do something like that for me. But when God speaks to me about going somewhere or following somebody somewhere, it seems like he's always taking me into a place that cost me something instead of giving me something. <laughs> I've got to... Follow along with me. And, 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 you know, when you get you need to give this person $20 so he can have some gas. There's always something like that. But that's what God does with us. He's not taking us to a place to say, here, I've done everything for you, and here it is. All you have to do is just sit down and just enjoy it, and that's it. We would all like for it to be that way. But in the upper room... There were difficulties, there were complexities and questions even at the time that Jesus was closing out the Passover events and opening up a new way, revealing to his disciples that they were now to observe the eating of the bread as his body, the drinking of the juice of the vine as his blood, and were to testify in that fashion from that point on. And we've done that in many different ways since that time. And that was what the Lord was revealing to them. He was revealing also to them explicit things that he really did want them to come to know and understand. In this, in this place, in this one single place now, the upper room where Jesus decided, here is the place for me to give the full and final revelation next to the cross and the resurrection. Here's the place for me to give my final teachings. And all of these teachings will be culminated, finalized, victoriously declared in the 
cross and in the resurrection. So Jesus began to teach his disciples in the upper room. Just before, just before they went into the upper room, every one of the four Gospels records this in a little bit different way, but they all record this. Just before they went into the upper room to receive the fullness of the presence of God, the Christ of glory, revealing himself to them in a greater way than ever before, just before that happened, Judas Iscariot went to the priests, the priests of Judaism, and sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Every gospel records this. He negotiated with the priests. He agreed on 30 pieces of silver. They paid him, and he told them that he would lead them to the time and the place where they could arrest Jesus because they wanted to kill him, thinking that when they killed him, they'd kill his message. So Judas is an example that declares to us everyone, everyone with opportunity, everyone with, 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 the, with the invitation, everyone who should receive the full message of Christ doesn't receive it. And don't take it, as some have said, Judas didn't have any choice about this. He was designated before to be the one who betrayed him. I don't believe that. I don't believe there's anybody in the world who's ever been born that way. There are a lot of people who are born with many disadvantages, and other people are born with advantages in the world. But everybody's also born with a free will and the ability to make free choice. Sometimes it's more difficult to make the right choice for some people in some circumstances than it is for others. We all know that. Nevertheless, that ability is still there. Sometimes the challenge is greater. It apparently was greater for Judas. He had a lot of difficulty along the way. There are several times in the scriptures where it's mentioned that Judas was not a faithful follower. You know, they suggested that he was the carrier, he's the treasurer of the group. He carried the bag that the money was in, but they said he wasn't honest. He took some of it out and used it for himself, so he was not honest. And then that's actually referred to in these last times, more than one time here in these last stages of the ministry of Christ before the crucifixion. So when they got into the upper room, now, even though Judas had just betrayed him, just before they decided to go and meet there in the upper room for their final teaching and their final lesson, Judas was with them. See, he still came. Whatever he thought he might get out of it, I don't know. He wanted to stay close to him so that at the right time he could identify him so he could be arrested. I don't know. That probably was a part of his motive because I know his motives were now nefarious. They were darkened and they were not... They were not godly in any way whatsoever. But while he was there in that upper room, Jesus identified him as the one who would betray him. All the disciples didn't quite hear it. They didn't quite grasp what he was saying. But when John asked him the question after Jesus said, one of you who is here with me will betray me, and John said, who is it? Well, they were all saying, is it me? Is it, am, am I the one? Am I the one? You know, that, that, so they all recognized that they all had that propensity that it could happen that they might take the wrong step and make the wrong decision. Wondering, or is it I? I've often wondered what caused every one of them to ask that question. Did they think it was possible they, they could betray him if the circumstances were right? At least it shows a lack of the full grasp of Jesus' message and the lack of the fullness of faith, the strength that faith can bring to people if they'll allow it. At least it shows that. But they didn't do that, and Jesus identified Judas as the one he was speaking about. And when he did that, he said to Judas, what you're going to do, go do quickly. Judas left 
and went out into the night, the Bible says. That left the rest of them there, Jesus and the 11 others. And to those 11 others, Jesus gave some of the greatest teaching that he gave in all of his ministry. If you look at the book of John, in John the 13th chapter begins with the events that happened in the upper room. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 of John are all the events being enumerated that happened while they were in the upper room together. So Jesus said some great, great things to them there. Much of it they grasped. Much of it they had to grasp as time went on and they began to see the realization and the fulfillment of the things that he said. But the important thing is this. He spoke great truths to them in this highly spiritual place. And what we need to recognize is when we come into that place of spiritual growth with him, of spiritual commitment with him, of spiritual where we're ready to receive and develop and grow into what God wants us to be, when we come into that place, then he has great things to say to us if we will take the ability that he gives us to receive them and there's great opportunity for growth and growing nearer to him and finding ourselves greater, greater committed, more greatly committed to him than we've ever been before. Chapter 13 of John, in the upper room, it was, it was there that Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, you've heard it said about the commandments of old, but he said, I give you a new commandment. Behold, I give you a new commandment. You remember what that commandment was? The new commandment. Someone's called it the 11th commandment. Beyond that, the other commandments really pale in comparison. The one thing Jesus said, not as a commandment. He said, but it is a new commandment. It's a new direction from me. And this was the new commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Read it in chapter 13 of John. That you love one another as I have Because behold, if we love one another, all men will know by that that we are his disciples. How valuable is that as something to learn near the end of Jesus' time teaching them? Chapter 14 of John. I think chapter 14 is probably one of the most familiar chapters of the Bible to me. I've read it over and over and over, as well as John 15. But in John 14, Jesus begins... Speaking to his disciples, he's still talking to them in the upper room. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If that were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, you may be also. I'll take you with me. I'll come for you again. Do not be discouraged or discomfited by all the things that you're going to experience in the world, in the view of all of that, don't let your heart be troubled. Keep believing in me. That's from the upper room. And in that same chapter, chapter 14, in the latter part of the chapter, Jesus promises them a helper. He says, I will send you the Holy Spirit who will teach you all truth. The Holy Spirit is coming as a paraclete, one called alongside to join us, to help us, to lead us into the depth of God and into the fullness of all that he has for us. He would send the Holy Spirit 
as a helper. And he did send the Holy Spirit, as you know. That was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And many times multiplied thousands of times after that, that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit according to the promise he made his disciples in the upper room. John chapter 15, he talks about the vine and the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches, he says at the opening of that chapter. And then he goes on to talk about what it means to be a branch of that vine. And that is where he said, if you abide in me, the branch, abiding in the vine, attached, growing into the vine. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you keep my words, you, leave my wor- you live my words, you believe my words, you proclaim my words. You guide yourself by my words, and my words abide in you. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will, and it shall be done by the Father in heaven. Powerful, powerful truth for us to try to come to that place that we're living in that, in that closeness of relationship with him, that we know every word that we speak directed to the throne of God in his heart, he hears. He responds to it, and he does not fail to act on it. When God's children who are joined with him cry out, he hears the cry of God's people, and he responds to it, and he acts upon it. He does what he wills to do in our lives, and that brings glory to his name and blessing to every one of us. John 15, wonderful. And then John chapter 16. In that chapter, he says two great, he says many great things. I just narrowed it down to two. One is that the work, he talks about the works the Holy Spirit will perform. And that he'll perform in the lives of believers. The second thing he says, such a great thing, he says to his people, be not afraid. I have overcome the world. Now here's a lowly carpenter sitting there at the table, just have taken the Passover meal teaching these men who are ready to go out and change the world. And he says, don't be afraid. Keep your faith in me because I have overcome the world. It took a great faith to believe it. But Jesus made the statement and he made it for all of us to believe. John chapter 17 is the chapter that has the high priestly prayer as Jesus prays for his disciples and cries out to Father God to keep his hand on them and bless them. And declaring to Father that he knows, he says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of this world. He identifies us with him so that we can identify ourselves with him. And Jesus makes it very clear that there's a power in his teaching and in his word that enables us to overcome anything the enemy throws against us in the power of his Holy Spirit. Upper room. Upper room. So this upper room became very, very familiar to these disciples. They would never forget the things that they heard there in the upper room. would always hold on to and cherish, and cherish the things that Jesus had said to them that enriched their lives and that he said in order to draw them closer to him and bring them into a greater understanding of who he is and what he can do in everyone's life. So this upper room... They gained, they gained status. They gained spiritual status. They were lifted up. They were taught. And after it was all finished from that upper room, the scripture says that they left walking out together, singing a hymn as they went. 
And, and clearly, I've just touched on highlights and, and specific points in these chapters in John. But I suggest that you go between now and Pentecost Sunday and read John chapter 13 through chapter 17 and see and embrace those things that Jesus taught his disciples on that special occasion, that special final session of great teaching, declaring the things that he considered to be most important. He spoke those things to them in the upper room. As they were familiar with it, we want to become familiar. I believe God has sent us directions, not just not to find an upper room, that isn't what's important, that it's elevated or it's on a second level or something like that. What's important is this is identified as a place of spiritual encounter, a place where we meet truth, a place where we meet Jesus, a place where the Holy Spirit moves, a place where we hear from him and determine to follow him and be obedient to him and receive and rise into the fullness of all he's planned for us. That's what the upper room is, a place of experience. The second time the upper room is mentioned, is in the first chapter of Acts, when it declares that all those who were there waiting to receive the Holy Spirit were gathered together in an upper room. I'll say more about that in other messages coming along, how I believe that's the same upper room that they were in when they received this new message from Jesus on this first occasion being in the upper room because they received something brand new here, solidified in Jesus' teaching, importantly declared because it's the last thing he's going to say to them. And then, beyond that, he led them to an upper room to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, also a room in Jerusalem. So that's why I identify it as the same room. The important thing about it is that here Jesus declared he would give us great spiritual blessing. If we listen to him, hear him, follow him, obey him, we have great things that he wants to give to us. And that's what we receive in him. We're moving in that direction. We're moving in that direction every day of our lives that we draw closer to Him. We're settling ourselves in an upper room. One, one time, I don't know if it will be next Sunday or the Sunday after that, I want to tell you about my experience, my personal experience in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But I was baptized in the Spirit not too long after I was saved. And, and what happened to me after that and how the enemy came in to plant doubts and caused me to question whether anything really important had actually happened to me at all and to question whether what God had done for me when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit was even real. And so I'll tell you how God confirmed all that to me and made it real to God. And I'll pick a time in one of these next two messages because it, 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 it can be something very important to you and to anyone who is wondering about the validity of the baptism in the Holy Spirit in your life, whether you've already had that experience and are questioning it whether you haven't yet had that experience and you're questioning whether you need to have it. I want to tell you my experience, which would, to me, if I were hearing it told from somebody that I trusted, would cause me to believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for those who want to receive it and that it is legitimate, scriptural, and real, and God will prove it to us. We, don't have, we, we take it by faith, but it's also something that God proves to us because he gives us a wonderful sign that the Holy Spirit has come into our lives and that he's working actively in our lives. I'll share that with you in a time to come. But next Sunday, I want to talk to you about dwelling in the upper room. More about being there than what I've tried to talk about today about getting there. So, so, so in that time, 
we're going to believe and expect God to keep preparing us for great things that he's doing. You know, in the greatest, in the, in the greatest expression of the, of, of the one, one of, I can't say the greatest one, I don't even know what the greatest one will be, one of the greatest expressions of the power of God and the move of the Holy Spirit that he's ever brought into my ministry and used me to, to, to be a part of was a time, and somehow this service kind of reminds me of it a lot. Because I remember very well on that Sunday morning when God told me today, you will see my power. And after that Sunday morning service, I went home and I was so disappointed and disillusioned because nothing whatsoever happened that morning. I was praying, if, if you've heard me tell this before, just bear with me because a lot of people haven't. I'm not going to tell every detail of it now. But the Lord spoke to me that Sunday morning before the service. I was praying. and I know God clearly spoke to me, as, and events proved that he did. But I knew it. I knew it. But I've heard the Lord speak several times, and I know it's God. God that morning said to me, today you will see my power. And wow, I got up off my knees. I remember, I, I remember so well. It was, we used to have an old shag carpet. Remember shag carpet? Remember that? We had a shag carpet down on the lower level of the family room of the house. I got up off that shag carpet off my knees. And I thought, oh, man, God, I've been praying for this. Today's the day. I went to church that morning and preached to a congregation larger than this one, but it doesn't matter. And, and the congregation listened politely, kind of like you have this morning, you know, just sitting there thinking about the roasted home. Where we're going to go afterwards? You think I can get the Ruby Tuesdays before everybody else gets there? And just kind of sitting here like we all do. And at the end of the service, I thought, "Oh, can't we see what God's going to do?" I asked everybody to stand. If they wanted prayer, raise their hand. They stood and just went on, died away. And I went and I went home. Oh, it's just like every other service. I went home. I was just so. I I, I remember I didn't even go out. Either. I went home and I went and I and I I, I wouldn't pray for a while. I didn't even pray for about mid-afternoon. I just went down and sat down and just commiserated in my misery because I knew God had spoken to me and I, nothing happened. And finally I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, you told me something was going to happen. You told me I'd see your power today. It's just what you said to me. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just don't know how to hear you. Lord, but if, you I know, if you've ever spoken to me, you said to me this morning, I'd see your power. And I didn't see it. I didn't see anything. You're just like it always was. And the Lord... I tell you this every time I tell you, I tell you this very same thing. It's just exactly the way it was. I felt like the Lord took me by my collar. Like you take a dog by the nap of the neck, you know, to shake him to get his attention. And, and I felt my head shaking. And God getting my attention. And I knew just like he spoke to me that morning, I heard him speak to me again. And he said, I said today. That's what I said today. And then I thought, well... I forgot about, you know, back then we had a night service. Every Sunday, every Sunday I preached two times, we had a night service thing. And I said, yeah, well, well, you said today. Never a word more from God, just two times. I said today. Well, okay, Lord, okay. And I didn't go with the same excitement I did that morning when I went to church that night. I'll tell you the honest truth, I didn't. Because I thought maybe I was missing it all together. You know, sometimes you think you've heard from God and everything tells you you didn't. And you kind of get persuaded, well, maybe I didn't because he, he, you know, at least that's the way I am. So that Sunday night I went and I preached. And, 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 I, 
And when I couldn't tell you what I preached, I have no idea. I preached that night, and it was just as normal, as ordinary as anything ever is. Kind of like we were saying, well, it's almost time to finish. I said, let's get out of here. I thought that's the way it was. And at the end of that service, I said to the people, if there's anybody here tonight who wants me to pray for them, just get up and come forward, and I'll pray. Now, usually when I said that, it's about like it is here, you know, three or four people come. Sometimes five or six. Sometimes somebody feels sorry for me, and there'd be seven or eight of them. And they'd come up, they'd let me pray for them. Just let me pray for them. So, so I was sitting there looking at that congregation. They were just looking back at me. I said, if anybody wants me to pray for them, just get up and come to the altar, and I'll pray for them. And everybody in the church stood up. It never had happened before. Everybody stood up. And, and I think everybody except one person, kind of like on the back row on the end of the pew, one person didn't stand up. But everybody else stood up. And... And, I, and they started coming forward. Well, it was, you know, it was kind of jammed. There probably were 200, 250 people there. And it was kind of getting crowded. So I saw people. Went, I said, well, now, if, ever, if all of you want to come, just get in the center aisle. We had a center aisle just like this, a lot wider. Just get in the center aisle and come down here for me to pray for you. So they all complied. They kind of moved around. They started coming down the center aisle. Now, I will tell you, I had never seen this happen before. I had been at that church several years at that time. I'd never seen anything like this happen before, so I, I didn't think anything about it, though, at that point. I wasn't even remembering at that moment in time God said I'd see his power today and tonight. I, I was caught up in what was going on. At least I don't think I remember. I consciously didn't. I sure thought of it later. So as they came walking down the aisle, I didn't, I might have asked the first, first person, but I knew with all this crowd if I was going to pray for everybody there, I couldn't ask everybody what, what they wanted me to pray about with them. So I just reached out to pray for the first person that came up. And, and I want to tell you, in those days now, this is many years ago, in those days, nobody fell out in church, fell out on the floor, you know. They didn't have any blankets to put over people because they'd never seen anybody fall out on the floor. Now we've got a blanket, we'll throw it over men. Wearing, I don't know why we do that, throw it over men with their pants. I thought we had those blankets to cover up women in case their skirts went up, but... And, yeah, that's what I thought, but I may be wrong. So, so we didn't have any blankets. We didn't have any catchers. We didn't have anybody to catch people. They didn't, nobody knew because it, this had never happened. I had never experienced this before in all my years. I would never experienced this before. But the first person that came up, I, feel like, I think I'm telling you this for a reason, but I didn't really plan to say this, but I'm telling you about how God can move. You, because you may not see some great, wonderful thing happening every moment. doesn't mean God isn't moving. The whole time I was preaching, God must have been moving and speaking to people about coming. Anyway, so they were standing up there in front of me. The first one that came up was a woman, and she went up and I reached out to lay my hands on and pray for her. I didn't get to say a word. As soon as I touched her, she fell flat on the floor. I thought, oh, I hope she's all right. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know what that was. And so then the next person came up, and I started to, I was going to say something, but I don't think I ever got to say a word in prayer for anybody. I just reached out to touch her and fall on the floor. And, by the, and, and so now, everybody that comes, the same thing was happening. If there wasn't one person, not one, that didn't fall out on the floor as they walked up there. And, and, and every, all this is a brand new experience now that's going on. We don't know what's happening. Nobody knows what's happening. But after a while, we did figure out that it seemed like everybody was going to be falling out, lying in the floor. And they weren't falling out and getting up, making room for the next person. They'd just fall out and they'd stay there. They're just laying all over the front floor. So, so a place like this, so they were filling up here. So finally some ushers realized I needed some help, and they came up to help me control the thing. 
And they started catching people as they fell. But their purpose in catching them was not what we do today to keep them falling hard. They were catching them so they could drag them and put them in a vacant space. So we, so we took them all around, all around from the side of that. It was a big and much wider place than this, the way it was constructed. But, the, but from the very end, we started across there. They started in the middle and went to this. And then we started guiding. And I'd say to people, come now, we'll stand over here and pray for them over here. And then somebody would get them and lay them down and kind of lay them in order like cords of wood, you know. <laughs> Trying to have some order so we'd have room for everybody. It looked like we were going to need room for 250 people to lay out in the floor because nobody was getting up. And so, and so it went on and on and on. And, and it just a continued. That service went on, I wouldn't even say how long, two hours, three hours, a long, long time. My point to you in saying this is that when God speaks, he will do what he says he'll do. Now, some of you are holding on. You're holding on by faith, as am I. You're holding on by faith. There's going to be a day that comes that God may not speak to us before the service. He may speak to us while it's going on and say, this is it. I'm not telling you how God will say it. I'm just telling you how God did it with me that particular morning. And so, when the, so now the time came, and so we're praising God. And finally, after a long, long period of time, with everybody laying out before people started to get up, and move about, and I did not know what to do. I just tried to follow the Lord, and we had a service of praising God. I didn't let people testify because everybody looked like would have wanted to, so we just concluded the service raising our hands, praising God, and the Spirit of God began to move, and that was the beginning of a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I told you some things isolated different times, how different things happened over the next few weeks and months. That's what God did and supernaturally used the gift of the Holy Spirit and revealed himself in great, powerful ways. And I'm saying this again to you this morning to say that God may do something different that we've never experienced before. Like that was a new thing to me that I'd never experienced before. And when God does it, it'll be God. We'll know it's God. It'll be the overflow from the upper room. The overflow of the Spirit of God and the flowing of God's power into us. And it won't be necessarily presaged by, by uh, pre-announced by what's going on at the moment. It could be like our sitting right here, and in five minutes from now, that great powerful expression of the Holy Spirit flowing all over the place. That's the way I've seen it and known it to be in the past. And I believe God still, that He doesn't have to announce ahead of time. Although he did announce to me ahead of time that day. But that was a test of my faith. When nothing happened that morning, you know. <laughs> great mighty man of God. Great faith giant of the ages. I said, Lord, I must have missed it. But it wasn't. I didn't miss it. It was God doing it God's way. It was God doing it God's way. So the what God does in the upper room, the overflow of the upper room, the fullness of the Spirit will be the way God does it and God chooses to do it. But the one thing is for certain, when it does overflow and when it does happen and it's coming, it's on the way and it's going to happen, that is the time that we will know it. It is here and God is the one who is moving and in control. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand with me, please. Stand with me, please.